two weeks ago we started uh, looking at the the word yield. All right, I'm going to talk to you about the power of yielding. You know, most of the time we think of wrestling, and there there is a spiritual war going on, and you do have to wrestle against principalities and powers. Uh, demonic forces that come against your life, demonic thoughts. You do need to put up a fight. But there is power in yielding, especially to the authorities in your life and yielding to God. So I'm going to talk to you about living free from sin's dominion. Romans chapter 6, if you'll go there. Uh, uh, we're going to look at verse 6, 11, and then 13. And I'll remind you of a great truth. Romans 6, 11 says this. Likewise, Reckon ye, and I hope you circle that word. First word is, sorry, no, I'm in the wrong one. Verse 6, verse 6. First word is knowing. That's your first word to circle. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Jesus. That the body of sin, the body you're living in, might be one day destroyed, and it will be, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Speaking of now, verse 11 now. Second word. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. All right, we know it's true. Now reckon it to be true, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jump down to verse 13. The final word in this trilogy here of thoughts, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members, talking about your fingers, your toes, your body parts, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, those are three simple words in this chapter here. Know, reckon, and yield. If you put them together, they equal victory. All right, one plus one plus one is three. Well, you put those three together, and they equal victory over sins. Now, what's important is that actually is all of you in action to the Bible. A lot of people, they, they may know a lot of the Bible, but they never believe it. Some people may know it and believe it, but won't live it. I want you to notice those three words. Know is your mind. That's where your brain is active. And only in a Bible-believing church is the mind active, where you are being, being challenged to understand and to know something. Know that you know that you know it. And so when he says no, he means use your brain. Don't switch it off when you come into a church and just go with the flow. It's you come in and you think, you analyze, you critique, and you understand the second part is reckon, which is an act of the heart. That's belief. You don't believe with your brain. You believe with your heart. Um, uh, like I've given you the example, uh, my mom knows that airplanes are fairly safe, okay, but her heart doesn't believe it, <laughs> so she won't get on an airplane. And so there's a difference between what your mind knows and what your heart believes. But a Christian's got to believe with all their heart that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for them in order to be saved. Reckon. And then the third word is yield, and that's a work of the body. That's where all of a sudden this hand that used to do wrong is now being used to do right. So you'll not be free from sin's presence. You won't be free from its constant pull until you reach heaven. Folks, you're always going to be tempted. And there is always the potential for you to fail and fall. There's, somebody says, you know, uh, now that I'm saved, will I sin? Yes, you will sin, and you will you will regret it you'll be disappointed with yourself sin is always at work against you but it, it does not dominate you anymore so uh you can be free the moment you get saved you're free from the penalty of sin uh, i'm not going to hell anymore 
and I'm free from the power of sin. And if you believe that Christ removed the penalty of your sin, you need to start believing he removed you from the power of it. Where you realize those cigarettes don't control you. You want them and you need to change your wanter. We'll talk about that. So yielding. Uh, so by summary, you know, I, I created this little chart here. And this is very important. When we say no, reckon, and yield, what we're talking about is know something to be a fact. Something to be sure about, to be certain of, to, to understand. And what do I need to know? That the old me is crucified and was, is dead and buried with Christ. Whatever was Craig Ledbetter before the 15th of June, 1980, whatever I was, wherever I was going, whatever I was thinking, whatever I... Uh, uh, record I had is dead and gone. I need to know that. And then uh, I need to reckon, which means to count. If somebody says you got so much money in, 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 your, in your wallet, you say, give me the wallet. I think I had another 50 in there. You add it up. And when you reckon, it means to count, to add up, to think for yourself, to believe to consider, to realize for yourself, to hold on to something that's been said, what? Reckon yourself dead to sin. You need to believe that you're dead to its power over you. And then the third part, which we're focusing on now, the part two on, yielding your members. What does it mean to yield? It means to give into. You ever been in an argument? And you say, ah, whatever, you win. <laughs> you say that under your breath, amen. Uh, to, to give into, to obey, to give into another force or an authority other than yourself or what you normally obey, to let someone else tell you what to do. That's what it means to yield, and you yield your members as instruments of righteousness for good. So when we talk about yielding, um, uh, I just got, uh, I want to go back to this thing of reckoning here. And, and um, when we talk about reckoning, it means to conform our minds to a different truth than we currently believe. Watch this, all right? So I've got a piece of clay here, and that clay is just, in its natural state, is just a lump of clay. But if I want to be more than I currently am, I need to allow somebody to mold me. Now, a lot of people let their friends mold them. A lot of people will hire a personal coach. You ever heard of that? They'll hire a personal coach to tell them when to get up, when to go to bed, tell them what to eat. And, and that, that's somebody that they're, that they're believing is going to change them, and they yield to them. They let them change them into something else. And I want you to understand, you can't trust anybody to make you a better person. You better trust Jesus Christ to do it. And a, and a Bible believer comes and says, all right, I know what he did. I believe what he did was for me, and now I'm yielding to his work in me so that I am free. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 36 says, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you're what? You're free indeed, because he did it. So conforming your mind, your way of thinking, and conforming your life to the truths of Scripture. Uh, what are we to reckon? Well, Paul never says that sin is dead. Okay, and He never says that that you're a zombie, you're not really alive. But he says there's a part of you, the past, that is dead and gone. Praise God. And really, salvation is that moment where a person no longer has to be the old way. 
um, that person is brand new. They are new in Christ. They have every reason to be a successful Christian. And he tells us to consider ourselves dead to sin. Uh, you need to believe that you're a brand new person. Now, I'm saved 43 years, which means I'm more, I've, I've lived longer as a Christian than I did as an unsaved kid, all right? I was saved at 17. And I have to remind myself uh, sometimes I, I am not the old me. Not that, not that uh, I'm, try, I'm struggling with the old me. It's that I really am a new person. I really, I, I'm, I'm on this, this, this endeavor to be more and more like Jesus. That's my highest goal. So I'm letting him shape me. And the way he does that is in how I live. Not just what I believe or, or what I know, but how I live with my hands, my feet, my toes, so on and so forth. So yield your members. I want you to understand this. If you understand these three truths, it'll add up to victory over smoking, over pornography, over anger and bitterness, over laziness. You know that's a sin, don't you? It'll give you victory over lying and exaggerating, which everybody's used to. It'll give you victory over apathy, heresy, fornication and lust, thievery, drugs, all your past. None of that old way of living ought to control today. It is not who you are. You say, you don't know what I've been through. God does. And I may have great compassion, great sympathy. I may try to understand. And I may say, I, I, I can agree. It's, it's impossible for you to be free of that. But according to the Bible, you are already free. Whatever happened in the past, God even says you can forgive them and you can be in victory. This is the, the life of the Christian. Not that things didn't, bad things didn't happen to you. And not that you didn't do stupid things and you got yourself in deep spiritual and emotional and physical troubles. But that that is not who you are today. So yielding. This word yielding is a wonderful word. Look at verse 13 again. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now we'd say the word use. But yield is different. Okay. I can use my phone. I can use my car. But usually I use it for what I want to use it for. Yield has a different meaning. Think about it. I now give my phone to God. I give my phone to my wife. Uh, man, I, that, that's not my phone. That belongs to somebody who can tell me what to do with it or whether even to have it. To yield the members of my body to him allows him the authority to tell me get rid of it. Gives him the authority to tell me to use it for good. Not that, not that everything I do with my phone is wrong. Not that everything I do with my car is wrong. Not that everything I do with my eyes is wrong. But I want the members of my body, the parts of my life that I have control over, I want to give to him. So when we say yield, it says, neither yield your members as instruments, tools of unrighteousness unto sin. <laughs> I mean, how many ways can you use your hand to sin? Uh, how many ways can you use your mouth to sin? Your eyes. Instead of using those things for sin, it says, but yield yourselves unto God as those, as if you're those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God now. Verse 14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under the grace. So let me remind you, to yield means to give in to. 
means to obey someone other than yourself. Uh, uh, you know, when you're coming up to the highway, you come up to the motorway, and there's a string of lorries coming up, you better yield, amen? It's smart to yield to a bigger force, right? Well, I'd be smart to yield to the biggest force in this universe, and that's a yield to God. Why would I want to just get in his way? Uh, sometimes you're very kind, and you let somebody go ahead of you in line. That's yielding. Why don't you get in the habit of it? You see, when a Christian takes second place, they actually are living the victorious Christian life. When the Christian's always fighting to get noticed and to get, um, uh, get the promotion and to, to, to get everybody's praise, the Bible says God will knock you down. He resists the proud, doesn't he? But he gives grace to the humble. And the sooner you learn to sometimes just let someone else tell you what needs to be done is when you're starting to learn victory. And I'll tell you this, this is the, the Christian life is always backwards to the world. The world says, well, if you don't grab that, if you don't carpe diem, you don't seize the day, you'll, you'll miss the opportunity. Maybe you will. But I think God makes opportunities, don't you think? I think God knows how to open doors and you just go right through them. Whereas your boss may open the door and then instantly, as soon as he talks to you about it, he gives it to somebody else. That's the cruelness of the world. Whereas the Christians trust in God, yielding. So what are you yielding? The members are the parts of our body. Go to James. Hold your place here. Go to James chapter 3. Do you ever realize how many parts there are to you? James chapter 3. Find the book of Hebrews, and then the very next book is James. James chapter 3 and verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little what? Ooh, it's a tiny little member, and yet boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. All you need is a tiny match or a tiny spark, and you can burn the house down. And all you need is a cruel, mean, wrong word spoken, especially at the wrong time, and you can ruin a marriage. That's a member of your body, isn't it? I'll show you another one. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Holding your place here in Romans chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 30. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 30. And when it says offend, it means blocks you, keeps you from following the Lord Jesus. And it says this, and if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Why? Why? Cast it from thee. Get rid of it. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy, there's our word, members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. I mean, he's given a real strong, I mean, hopefully you'd never have to cut off your hand or pluck out your eye. But if anything is stopping you from following Jesus Christ, following him all the way to heaven, if he's keeping you from getting saved and trusting him, get rid of it. I mean, if something keeps you up all night on Saturday night so you can't get to church, get rid of the TV, get rid of the, the, the Netflix, get rid of the Hulu, get rid of all that stuff because it's better to go to heaven without Netflix than it is to go to hell with it. You see the point? Whatever's stopping you from following Jesus Christ needs to be cut off, but he uses your hand. He calls it a member. He uses eyes. He talks about uh, your mouth, your ears, your fingers, your feet, your sex drive. And instead of no longer yielding them to sinful things, you need to yield it to God. We all are used to yielding our members as tools of the devil. 
old parts of us can be used for wrong, can't they? I mean, this elbow, this elbow I can use to hurt people, amen? Every part of me can be used for sin. Did you, do you realize every part of you can be used for good? Amen. So when he talks about yield your members, he talks about the parts of your body. We used to yield our members as tools of the devil. I don't know about you, but my mouth used to be used to say such filthy things, cruel things. Every once in a while, it still comes up and says cruel things. My hands used to uh, be used to steal, hurt other people. Feet were swift to run to where we would be able to sin. Eyes full of adultery and pornography. Mind full of wicked imaginations and dark pleasures. Sex drive set on taking advantage of every opportunity. That's given into and yielding your body that you got from God, by the way, to sin. And uh, uh, it's amazing what our body can get involved in and, and, and can get absorbed in. I mean, and not just those things. I mean, sometimes just the words that come out of our mouth are more wicked than what we put in our mouth. Amen. So sin comes in all shapes and sizes based on what, what member of our body we use. All parts of our body, every part of us, should be used as instruments of righteousness now. My mouth, you, you, you say it all. My mouth should be used to say encouraging words, helpful words, truthful words. Amen? My voice ought to be used to praise God instead of complaining. My hands ought to be used to work hard, building things for God instead of my hands tearing things down. My feet ought to go everywhere, taking the gospel where people have never heard. My eyes ought to be seeking for opportunities to show compassion and support. And the marriage bed ought to be reserved for when you're married. Amen. You see, sexual intercourse and relationships between a, a man and a woman is not wrong when it's between husband and wife. Amen. Use what God gave you for good. The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. All of your members can be used for good if you'll yield them to righteousness. The key is to learn to sense the Holy Spirit and to yield your entire life to him. And I'll talk to you more about that next week because it is imperative that you learn to yield. Now we're going to pick up where we left off in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. We're under this dominion called grace. Chapter 6 verse uh, verse uh, 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, as if to say now, for you're not under the law, but under grace. The, the truth is, sin is not to have any control of you now. Uh, this, this smartphone that we hold in our pocket should not control you. When you go into the toilet, it does not have to follow you. Okay, as a matter of fact, how much time we spend on that phone grows in time, doesn't it? It doesn't ever peak off and then go down until you say, you're not controlling me anymore. Your friends need to know when, you can, when, when, when they've gone too far, you're walking away. They don't dominate you now anymore. Sin is not to have control or rule over me now that I've been born again. Now, when he uses the word dominion, it means authority. It means control, power, rule. And the Bible says, I'm free from the power and the rule of sin and its effects. And I've been placed under the rule of grace. 
uh, I'm kind of glad I'm not under the power of the law uh, because the law is there for one reason, that's to catch you when you do wrong. I'll tell you how cruel that is. Uh, we're, we're, in, uh, uh, we're traveling in uh, the, the Netherlands last week. We had a good meeting. It was a great time. But I'm driving along. Man, I'm enjoying the Volkswagen, whatever it was. I forget what I was driving, a Passat, whatever. We're driving along, clipping along on the highway. Other cars driving along, and I get two tickets. One for six kilometers an hour over the speed limit. I was going 106. I didn't even know. I was going 106 and a 100. They gave me a ticket for 60 euros. You know what that is? The law. You see what I'm saying? The law catches you when you're wrong. Now, in Ireland, they wait till you're going 25 over the speed limit. I don't know what it is. But wow, man. Six kilometers an hour. <laughs> like, aren't you being a little? That's, that's just a little over three miles an hour over the speed limit. But I got the ticket. That's the law. I'm glad I'm not under God's law anymore because he could catch me out on everything every day, couldn't he? Wow, man. Uh, God's law does an excellent job of pointing out failure, but it can never empower you to keep from failing. Grace is there to fix you when you fall. Now, that comes to our next point, and that is grace is not freedom to sin. Look in verse 15. What then? If we're under the dominion of grace, shall we sin because we're not under the law, God's law anymore, but under grace? And he repeats himself. He says, God forbid, no way, Jose. What most people need to know is the power of grace. Please take your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. You're in Romans. Hold in your place. we got three. You can come back to it because we got three verses to look at. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 8. What's the power of grace? led better number one it is the power to save look at ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8 and 9 for by what's our word grace. for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves oh man god's very kind he gives it to us it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast you know what the power of grace is it can save a wretch like me that's why we sing that song amazing grace Second thing it does, go to Titus chapter 2, all the way to the right, just before Hebrews. A little book called Titus chapter 2, in verse 11. The power of God's grace. When you understand the power of God's grace, I know the power of God's law, but I am now experiencing the power of God's grace. It saves me. Secondly, it enables me to live godly. Look in chapter 2, in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, now that I'm saved, I can reject ungodly living and worldly lusts, and we should now live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly, not just in heaven, but in this present world. It enables me to live godly in this present evil world. Amen. That's the power of grace. And the third thing it does is it'll sustain you when you are weak and when you're stressed out and you're, uh, you're, you're wanting to quit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Go back to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 9. Paul is going through a hard time in his life, his Christian life, and he writes this kind of like a journal. He says, I prayed for God to remove 
this trouble in my life. He called it a thorn in his flesh. It was physical. It was emotional. It was even spiritual. It was very hard for him to just every morning get up and just serve God, do the right thing. He said, this is killing me, Lord. Take it away. And three times the Lord went, no. Look in chapter 12 and verse 9. Look at verse 8. I said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, this is Jesus talking, my what? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, Jesus says, I, feel a little, I think I'm a little stronger than you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul then continues, he says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my stress, in my problems, in my weakness, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's Christianity. We live godly lives and not sinful lives, not because God's with a big stick and lightning over us, beating us all the time. We live because of God's grace, his kindness to us, his gentleness with us. Now, I think of grace, and I thought of this. Think about, think about a lamb. I mean, that lamb, you got wolves, you got bears, you got lions and tigers. I don't know what else. He's got all kinds of, of enemies, doesn't a lamb have? I mean, a small little lamb. And isn't it grace to have a shepherd? Isn't it grace to have somebody who defends a weak, trembling lamb? Isn't it grace that that shepherd there would give his life for a weak timid un, un, unable to to resist the enemy lamb grace picks up that lamb and carries that lamb through the valley of the shadow of death picks up that lamb and protects that lamb from attacks that lamb is terrified that lamb senses the danger but never experiences it because of the shepherd that's grace Grace is not you all on your own doing as you please. Grace is you sitting and resting in his care, in the good shepherd's care, in Jesus Christ's care, and knowing, man, whatever he asks me to do, I'll do it because he's with me. Amen? He's with me. That's grace. The power of that grace. So therefore, grace is no longer the freedom to do as we please. We say, man, I wish I was free. Most people get into sin because they got out of the house and they snuck out of the house or they got old enough to go and do as they please and then after that, 10 years later, they regret it. They thought they were free and they became slave to sin. And the Bible says, grace doesn't give you the freedom to do as you please, but to do as God designed you and God, uh, as God pleases. You know, when you yield your body to God, when you give in to his will, when you let him tell you what to do each day. I mean, you know what a quiet time is? We talked about it in discipleship earlier. Quiet time is you saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? If, if, if the car won't start and I'm late for work, you're in charge. What, how do you want me to handle it? Um, if, if, you know, if I'm fired, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to panic, even though I might feel like it. I'm going to trust you. Whatever comes my way, I want you to tell me what to do, how to react. That's yielding. And I want to use every finger. I want to use every toe. I want to use every word. I want to use every second of my life. I want every place that I am to be lived for you. That's yielding. And you know what that does? The devil can't touch you. Go to, uh, go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. 
James chapter 4 and verse 7, this ought to be your life verse for a little while. James 4, 7 says, say it with me real loud, will you please? Ready? Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Should I resist the devil first? So submit means to yield. Let him tell me what to do. Means to come under and humble yourself and say, Lord, you're in charge, not me. And when you do that, the devil can't touch you. Will you start to believe that? Will you start to believe? Listen, I get into an argument with my wife every day. Yield. How would Jesus respond to her? Well, I think he'd slap her. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. He's just as kind to her as he's being kind to you. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to yield to whatever God's doing in your life. How do I fix this problem? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just go with it and you live with it. Well, I wish God would just heal me. I wish God would just fix this problem in my life. I can't answer all the problems. I can just say this. When you yield to God's hand in your life, look in there in James chapter, well, I don't remember the verse, but it says, uh, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Whatever he's doing in your life, that he may exalt you, honor you in due time. Man, isn't it good to be under grace? I'd much rather be under grace than under law. Say, well, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going I'm to work my way to heaven. I'm going to be a good person. You will fail, and you know it. You're just sticking in pride and trying to just be good enough so God is impressed with you. He won't be. But if you come under and you cling to the mercy and the grace of God, you get in. And you actually start living in victory over sin. So that's real freedom. Freedom from stupidity. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from the scars and all the painful memories. And freedom from the slavery that sin had you in before. So look back there in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The Bible says that your master, your boss of your life is revealed by who you serve. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart. There's that reckoning. That form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. What's the doctrine? The gospel. What's the doctrine? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've obeyed it from the heart. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Here, uh, the great truth is this. The great proof that you're yielding is serving. You will either yield to sinful desires and to their pull, or you'll yield to God. You, you'll yield to his pull on you. When you've got kids, especially when you've got grandkids, and they pull you on the, you know, pull you on your pants leg you know what you know what grandpa does stops what he's doing i yield what do you want that's yielding you understand what i'm saying my grandkids don't have to come get a big stick and bang my leg to get my attention just pulls a little bit on my pant leg or all they have to do is say grandpa and man i'm coming running that's me yielding to that simple call and we used to, and me wanted, what do you need? What do you want? What, what, what do you want to do, you know? And what we've got to do is turn that thing around that when, when Jesus whispers, when the Holy Spirit tugs on our heart, we go, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's the title of my message next week. I don't want to preach it, but I want you to understand the proof and the, 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 
Um, the results of you yielding is when you start to serve. Um, beware. When your flesh and your natural, natural desires are tempted to sin and you obey those desires, you will become the servant again of those desires. Can a Christian who put down cigarettes pick them up again? And did you know when you pick it back up, you could become more enslaved than you were before? I have known Christians who stopped drinking after they got saved, didn't pick up a drink, and then when they picked it up years later, they went deeper into it, and it was harder for them to come back out. Because every time that you mess around with sin, sin doesn't play fair. Sin is a trapper. Sin knows how to trap you and put you in bondage. You say, well, I'm saved. Sin has no power over me. No, it has no dominion over you. But when you walk back into that disco and you walk back into that pub and you walk back and, and start doing the things you used to do, that power is still there. And when you, when you walk into it, you, it may take you years before you ever come back out. Don't you? You will either serve God or you'll serve that stuff that you were free from. You say, how did that happen? Because you're still a sinner. You're still in flesh that loves to sin. Sin will always take you further than you want it to go. Remember that. But if you start yielding to the Holy Spirit of God, you'll start to enjoy where God takes you. I've known people who, when they got saved and they put down the drink, they used to drink two pints a night at the pub or whatever. After they got saved, they had to have three, four, five before they felt good. That's how, see, you're saved now. It takes, it, it takes you going further for you to have the same fun you used to have, and it takes you further down. It's harder to get back. Don't, don't play with sin even after you're being saved because sin still kills. Amen. So yielding is serving. What do I mean by that? You need to start yielding to God instead of to your friends and your own lust. Stop acting like you know the Bible and start yielding to it. You know, there are people who listen to me preach and they'll find something wrong with what I say, which is your right and you should. Say, I don't know if I got that right. But make sure that you're living and yielding to the book. My goal is not that I'm totally right. You know what my goal is? To live it. To live Please, God, help me to yield. I don't fully understand everything. I'm still learning. I was telling the guys in discipleship, I've got 50 pages of notes on just this one chapter. And I'm like, wow. There is so much here. I want to understand it. Not that I'm struggling, but that it's just so rich and so real. But make sure that you're overruling your feelings, your opinions, and you're just saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's yielding. Do you know how to win against sinful habits and desires? Know that Jesus Christ has died for you and what, what he accomplished on the cross. Reckon it to be true uh, and real and powerful and then yield to the will of God now. Like a servant does his or her master. It's Yielding is a way of life. Doing what their master wants done, not what they want done. I'll give you an example. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 13. John 13, 13. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. And if I then your Lord and master 
have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What's he saying? The disciples would have gladly washed Jesus' feet. Do you think so? I mean, if Jesus' feet were dirty, his disciples would have instantly washed his feet. Jesus turns it around and he says, but I've washed your feet. Now I'm asking you to wash each other's feet. <gasps> what? Jesus, I want you to teach us about your second coming. Jesus, I want you to teach us about Old Testament this. And uh, Jesus says, no, I want you to yield to my will for you. Love one another as I have loved you. Wash one another's feet. That's yielding. Amen. What if we had a foot washing service? Now, I've never had one. I always wanted to have one. You imagine how many people run out that door? <laughs> and yet Jesus said, if I, your master, have washed your feet, I want you to wash one. That's yielding to our master. I don't want to wash their feet. I, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did to me. Jesus said, yield. Yield. This example is, goes to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, Ephesians 5 verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22, three examples here, wives, men, and employees. You ready? I'll get just about everybody angry at me here this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, yield to your husbands. That's what he's saying. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto who? Wow, as if you're doing it unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Rough, man. Yield to your husband. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be yielded, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any of your, hus if your husband does not obey the word, if they're in rebellion, they also may without the word now be won just by the conversation, the way the woman speaks and lives by the conversation of the wives. You want to win your husband? Don't, don't nag him, don't fight him, don't tear him down. Verse 2, while they behold your chaste, your reserved conversation, coupled with fear, who's adorning, don't try to manipulate him with the way you dress and the way you act towards him, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning, the plating of hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Let him see your heart, that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a, what kind of a spirit? Meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price that's yielding men we're not out of the ballpark husbands and men you need to yield to the will of god in your life for your life and for your family instead of doing our own will see we men were raised thinking i'm gonna be my own man and then we get married and we think she's gonna do whatever we want and then she doesn't and then arguments ensue and then the two of you just get at loggerheads and it falls apart and you say what's wrong you're wrong if you start doing things the way God says to do it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know what a man's supposed to do? 1 Corinthians, if he's married, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32.
First uh, Corinthians chapter seven verse thirty-two. But I, I would have you without carefulness. Don't panic. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may what. You know, when you're single, you can just do anything God tells you. He could tell you, I want you to be a missionary to Afghanistan. Amen. You go anywhere, do anything God asks you to do. Amen. That it may please the Lord. But, verse 33, he that is married, he cares about the things of the world. He cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please who? Every man, listen to this. Do you know who you're supposed to please? It's not yourself. It's that woman you married. And if you change the way you view your relationship and your responsibility, you'll save your marriage. You'll save your future by yielding. Does that mean I have to give in to her every time? No. But she needs to know that you are sacrificing your wants for hers. Amen. Ladies, you can say amen. Amen. One more. Amen. I didn't mean that. (laughs) Again. All right. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you are breathing again. Ephesians chapter five and ver- uh, back, chapter 6 and verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Servants, that's an employee. Be obedient, Ephesians 6, 5. Be obedient to them that are your masters, your employers, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart. You have one goal in your heart. You're doing it as unto who? You're treating your boss like they're Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Not with eye service when they're watching you as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the, not the will of your boss, you're doing the will of God from your heart with goodwill, doing service, being a servant. If on the job you're constantly complaining, if you're always causing problems because you're not happy, you know what your boss wants to do? Fire you. But if you come in and you're a servant, you've got a servant heart and you treat them with the utmost respect and you honor them and you do what they say, guess what? They'll promote you. God will honor you. That's how it works. You say, well, I think I ought to be able to do what I want. Get your own job. Start your own business. But when you have people working for you, you're going to say, why don't they do what I say? <laughs> and you're going to learn a long way the, the right message. Quit complaining at work. Christian, No Christian in this room should be a complainer where you work. If you don't like your job, gently resign. Get a new job. Quit complaining. Don't make it harder for anyone on that job. They ought to look at you and go, they're happy again. (laughs) They love their job. Amen. That's a Christian. Start serving. Start doing with whatever your bosses hired you to do. If If you feel free to murmur and complain and argue and quit your jobs constantly then you are a slave to yourself. You're a slave to your bad attitude. You're a slave to your own pride. And you need to be, you need to be forgiven. You need to be freed, man. We Christians now have a choice about what we do with our lives and whom we serve. I used to be a slave to sin, and I'm now able to devote my life to right things, to good things. And I love it. I, I wanted to be an a aerospace engineer, wanted to be an astronaut, wanted to fly on the space shuttle, wanted to go into outer space, all that stuff. That was my plan. I'm doing a much better plan now. I actually wouldn't trade this. I've actually, since I've been saved, I never once regretted. Now, I still love astronomy. I still read everything I can about astronomy and science. I still 
have hobbies and things like this, but my life is dedicated, these fingers, this mouth, this body is dedicated to whatever God's will is for me. And I guarantee you, I'm happier than I ever would have been if I had been floating around in space. <laughs> if I'd ever come back. Uh, following Jesus Christ enables a Christian to serve God and to live free from sin's grip. Because when I'm free, it leads to sanctification. It leads to a life that doesn't constantly struggle with the images that I watched in my head last night. That doesn't constantly struggle with the attitudes that I carry from years ago. It doesn't live in the bondage of that sin. I live free. So, choose wisely who you serve. I'll take you to three scriptures and we're done. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel's right after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel in the Old Testament. This is priceless. Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 14. <clears throat> verse 14 says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my God? Circle that word serve. That means obey. Do what my God say. Do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? That's a 66-foot image he set up there, and they're supposed to bow to it. Verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar goes on. He says, now if you be ready, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, if you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, good. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Watch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Watch how they respond. I love this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king in unison, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve, there's that word again, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Our God is able to protect us from that fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O Lord, O King. But if not, I mean he's able, but if he doesn't, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods. We will not yield. You hear that? Nor worship the golden image which thou hast made, has set up. Verse 19. Woo, you want to upset somebody? They want you to sin. They want you to come out on Friday night. They want you to miss church. They want you to watch something. They want you to buy something, snort something, drink something, whatever. And you say, I will not yield. You will make them the devil themselves. They will look, oh, I don't know why I'm your friend. And they'll walk out the door. Look at verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. And the form of his visage, his face, was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated ever before. He's turned, he makes it hotter, seven times hotter than ever. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Whew, he's mad. Verse 21. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. 
Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent in the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, the guys who were carrying them to the mouth of the furnace, when they threw them in, they, they died right on the spot. It was too hot. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, means amazed, astonished. And he rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Uh, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. Write the word free. Walking in the midst of the fire. I don't know if they're cooking pizza, hot dogs, or hamburgers. I don't know. But they're having the time of their life loose in the midst of that fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like Jesus. <laughs> I think I see Jesus there. The Son of God, verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came. Now, we haven't gotten to the best part yet. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace, and he spake. I think he had to yell. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants, servers. Hear that word? You servants of the Most High God. Come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. <laughs> you ladies would love that when you're putting your curling iron on it. Amen. Neither were their coats changed, nor their, the smell of fire had passed on them. Then, here's the key verse, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that, number one, trusted in him. Number two, they changed the king's word. You were able to go against what I even said. And three, they yielded their what? Isn't that a New Testament truth? They yielded their hands, their feet, their eyes, their hair. <laughs> they yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. You know why you keep running through those old sins even after you're saved? Because you've never yielded to God. You keep trying to put the drink down when God says, pick up your Bible. Do you know when you're in church, probably you're not sinning as much as you would be if you're at home. Amen. When you yield to God and you show up at church, when you yield to God and you go out soul winning, when you yield to God and you're reading your Bible, you're probably not going to be sinning for that bit of time. Amen? Amen. Whew. He says they yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. I think that's breathtaking. Go to Exodus chapter 8 verse 1. You say, you made your point. No, I haven't. <laughs> Exodus. Genesis, Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1. Exodus 8, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses. And what does he say? Um, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may, What's the word? Whew, that they may yield to me. That they may do what I want, not what you want. What, was, what were the Jews doing when they were in Egypt? Building Pharaoh cities. I mean, these guys, uh, the Jews in there were slaves of Pharaoh. And God says, Moses says, you better let them go. Because they need to be serving me. And what did Pharaoh say? I know not the Lord and I will not let them go. 
And Moses would <coughs> snickered and went, boy, you're about to learn how wrong it is to resist God. And bang, 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 um, uh, trouble after trouble after trouble came, disaster after disaster came until what did Pharaoh finally do? He says, get out, <laughs> you're free. And you know what? The devil may have a grip on you, but Jesus Christ judged him on the cross to make you free so that you could serve who? Jesus Christ. And as long as you are a slave of the devil, as long as you're a slave of sin, you will not serve God. He wants to break that. He wants to, he's actually told the devil to let you go. It's your choice now to finally be going and saying, I am free. Why would I still live in Egypt? And the third one, Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God has been very merciful to you, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living what? A living sacrifice. You present it, not a dead sacrifice. God doesn't want you dead, but a living sacrifice. He wants you acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, here's our word, way of living. It's your reasonable service. It's how you live, serving him. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what I'm trying to do this morning is get that brain going, get that heart going, so that your body's going. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove <laughs> what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God for you. Brilliant stuff, man. Offer to God what you have. You say, I don't have two pennies. Are they God's or are they yours? I don't, I, don't have, I don't have much time during my week. Give what you have. Go soul winning. Hand out a tract to somebody. Invite somebody to church. Start yielding to God. Find out if you get more victory over sin or if you're still struggling. Yield yourselves unto God. Here's the conclusion. A lot more next week about, about listening to the Holy Spirit. Romans 6.23 says this. You ought to know it. For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Point number one. Why do we care? Because sin still has its consequences. Consider the long-term consequences of whatever your decisions. Realize there's always a pay packet at the end of your life that you're earning and that pay packet either is based upon all that stupid life of your own or all the rewards of living for Jesus Christ. The wages of sin will always end in death. And I've known plenty of Christians who should have been around a whole lot longer. But they got into sin, they stepped away from God, and they thought they'd be able to come back, and they never came back. You know, it's an early death for a Christian if you mess around with sin and you, get, you allow it to take dominion over you again. You start going back to drink and all that stuff. That's an early death. But, you know, if you're unsaved, do you realize the consequence of sin is eternal death? Eternal, not only eternal separation from God, but the eternal judgment of God. That's why I got saved, because I knew I deserved it. And I wanted to be free from the penalty. But I find out I can be free from the power of sin now. Sin still wants to enslave you, wants to rob you of your freedom, soil you, ruin your marriage, ruin your home and your fellowship with God and with other Christians. That's what sin wants to do. Are you going to let it? Honestly, 
But did you know a whole life, not just a bit on Sunday, but your whole life when lived for Jesus Christ results in the best life? Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that more. Amen. You know, when the Bible says the, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, not will be, is eternal life. Eternal life starts now. Isn't that cool? I'm actually living a life that won't end. Why am I not enjoying it? Why am I not living like I'm raised from the dead, like I have this new life? Let the gift of God, which is Jesus and his grace, save you today. Stand with me, bow in prayer.